0: and and, uh, didn't do the invocation and and didn't give Ron a chance to come in and do the welcome. So let's have our invocation right now. And you come around here where I can see you. Y'all are too nice looking for me not to be able to see you. We're so glad you're here. I hope y'all are planning on being in church next Sunday too for Easter Sunday. That'll be a Real highlight for us. But let's have our invocation right now. We're going to pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house of worship for the folks who've gone before us to make these beautiful facilities possible for us to enjoy today. Help us be faithful in our calling in this hour to make the way for those who follow. And now be with us in Happy Club. Happy Club. And we thank you for the faces of these smiling children, the families they represent, and their futures dedicated to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Miss Macy Hand has the Happy Club bag. Come have a seat, Miss Macy. All right, what do y'all think she brought? Any idea? It feels soft. Macy, I'm going to have to have some help. Let's see what we have here. Okay. What are they? Are there something else? There's another one. Another one. That's a bird. What's this? A pink chihuahua and a pug. Tell me about these. Are these Webkin's? Mm-hmm. So you play with them on the computer and you build houses for them. You can take them on vacation. Take them on vacation.
1: <laughs> what else can
0: you do? do you, you win
1: them money to, and you can even buy some stuff for them.
0: You win money and buy stuff for them. Do you, uh, do you feed them? Do you take care of them and all those things? So these are like real life pets that you interact with on the computer. Is that right? Wow. How about that? Webkins? I'm not that familiar with I see the little W on the bottom of their paws. There's probably one on this. What kind of bird is that? Canary? There's one on the back. Oh, there it is right there on the back. Little W meaning Webkins. So that means you can play with them on the computer. You know, I guess, Macy, as I look at these and I know the good care that you take of them on the computer, the good news is that God doesn't need a computer to take care of us, does he? He can talk to us directly, and we can talk to him, and he, even, he doesn't have to go on the computer to, to give us houses or food or money to buy things for us and all those things because he does that directly. Everything that we have comes directly from him that he provides for us in a special way. So I know you enjoy taking Do they have names? Who's who? This one's Pugsy, this one's Pinky, and this one's Sweetie Tweety. Pugsy, Pinky, and Sweetie Tweety. <laughs> and I know you take good care of them on the computer, and God takes good care of us in real life. So let's pray and thank God for the, the kind of care he gives us. Let's bow together. And you pray after me. Dear God, thank you for loving us and taking care of us Always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pugsy, Pinky, Sweetie Tweety. Okay. Thank you, Macy, for sharing your webkins with us. Miss Sabina, it's a boy's turn, isn't it? Yes. Andrew
1: Taylor.
0: Andrew, you take the bag home and bring back something special next week. Boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina to children's worship if you'd like.
1: you stand as we sing Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Please stand.
2: We just count it as a joy to be able to come together this morning as brothers and sisters. Father, for the sole reason and the purpose to worship you. And we just already thank you for what you have, uh, as your spirit has moved through these other worship services. Thank you, Father, for these Sunday school teachers and these classes. And Father, right now, that, uh, and I know, Lord, that we have many tears and pools. That as we come into this place this morning. But, Father, just help us, allow your Spirit to move upon us, that we can leave them outside, and right now, Father, just be totally focused on you, to worship you in truth and in spirit. Father, bless, <clears throat> bless these tithes and offerings, Father, because they belong to you to start with, and you have been so good to us by sharing with us this week. And, Father, right now that we will just share not, not only our money, Father, but our time. Father, everything that we have, everything we are, and everything we ever hope to be is because you provided for us. And we just love you and we worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: I just wanted to confirm with Gary, those will be in the musical tonight. The Christ, the cross, the crown. You already noticed part of the set behind me. But uh, I hope you plan to come 7 o'clock here in our sanctuary, and and not just yourself, but bring someone who's unchurched or unsaved. Um, Sometimes music penetrates the heart in ways that the spoken word cannot and and we hope that some unsaved people will find the Lord Jesus tonight in this music. We are in a series of signs, the seven signs in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John. And this is the sixth one. And it just so happens that next Sunday is the last one, the seventh Sunday. The seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So it'll be an appropriate sign to consider on Easter Sunday. But the sixth sign today is the miracles, and I call them two miracles of sight and blindness that occur in John chapter 9. It's an amazing chapter. And and the way John presents it, two miracles occur that day. We usually just recognize the miracle of the blind man who is made to see. But there's a second miracle that also happens. John 9, 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. while it is day, night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world." As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now in these next verses, there is controversy among the Jewish leaders about how this happened and who did it, and they wanted to argue with the man who was healed. And so we come to verse 24. A second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, was a, is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? being a little sarcastic there. Of course, they didn't like it. They reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, listen to this, why this is a marvel. The word there means miracle. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The man has an argument and a personal life experience that they could not debate, and still they refused. Shall we pray? Father, as we consider this man who was born blind and had his eyes opened, and these leaders who had their eyes open yet refused to see, help us figure out where we stand in our relationship with you. And where we are blind, Lord, open our eyes to see you and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know we have a lot of scientists among us, being so close to the experiment station and, and to ABAC. If we were to impose the scientific method on this miracle, I'm not exactly sure how it would happen. I guess we would form some kind of proposal, and then a hypothesis, and test the hypothesis, and see what the results were, and if the hypothesis were supported, we could go to the next step. If not, go back and retest uh, all, the, all the different elements that were contained therein, and repeat them for a panel of ju- uh, judges until everyone was completely satisfied. Needless to say, such conditions are impossible Because if they were all met, then this wouldn't be a miracle. It would simply be another experiment that could be repeated at will. But I believe of all the miracles recorded in the Bible, this one in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John comes closest to meeting all of these conditions. Think about it. It is one of the longest detailed miracle stories in the New Testament. The evidence is examined closely. Objections to it are stated. The event is debated. It is turned inside out by skeptics who exhaust every effort to shake its validity. Yet after all the attacks and cross-examination and scrutiny and careful analyses, the fact of this miracle remains unshaken. This is a great miracle story. And I just thought maybe today some of you needed to be reminded that God is still in the miracle working business. So what are the ingredients of a miracle? Maybe some of these things that, that come to light in this miracle, as I hold out in your uh, outline in your worship bulletin this morning, might resemble something in your own life. First of all, there is a need, a great need. Verse 1 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. Eye problems were common in first century Jerusalem, in the world in that matter. One writer said, one historian said, you could meet a hundred people any afternoon on the streets of an ancient city who would be blind. Think about it. Eye infections were common. Antibiotics, medications were unheard of. So what What did they do if they got an eye infection? It just continued until the eyesight failed and they became blind. I remember a, a mission trip we took to Nicaragua several years ago. A missionary and I went into a small hut, and a little girl there, they, they think because we're gringos, we must have been doctors too, uh, brought the little girl to us, and she had pink eye. And the family, the mother wanted to know, please do something, please do something. And, and the missionary looked, you know, and, and knew what it was and told her the antibiotic. Apparently she had transferred it from one eye to another, and she said it had lasted for six months and the missionary looked at me and said, if something isn't done soon, this girl will go blind because these infections are so rampant. The Apostle Paul, we are told in, uh, in a history by a historian, he is described as not being very attractive because he had bulging eyes. And I've often wondered if that might be the thorn in the flesh that Paul often prayed to have removed. He had some kind of eye infection uh, that, that troubled him. You know, when your eye hurts, you just hurt all over. And maybe that was Paul's problem, the thorn in his flesh. This man that Jesus passed by did not just have a temporary infection, nor was his blindness something recently affected. It says this man was blind from his birth. And verse 32 declares that there had never been a man, opened his eyes, a man who had been blind from birth who had been made to see. Evidently, the man had investigated the matter. His family had probably sent word to every healing center in the ancient world, but no answer could be found. There was no hope. Other forms of eye problems might have been treatable. But if you were born blind, there was nothing that could be done. And as far as this man knew at this point, it was permanent. No known cure. And I've wondered how many times do we find ourselves... In a similar situation. We have a problem that has plagued us for a lifetime, it seems. As a matter of fact, in chapter in in chapter nine, verse one, it says it just says man. It doesn't say the man. It just says man, and it makes me think that, that maybe John uses this man to symbolize the blindness that we all have from birth. We look for solutions. We follow up leads. And yet when the searching is over and we've tried everything, there is no hope. Maybe you have a physical problem like this man. Maybe you have a a mental difficulty that's challenging. Maybe you have a family problem that has, has beset you. Maybe it's a spiritual problem that has been troubling you. All I know is that today we have problems attacking us from every corner. And people throw up their arms in desperation and say, what can I do? Where is the hope? Where is the answer? It reminds me of a woman who was trying to explain the smashed car to her husband. And she said by the time she had backed out of the driveway to see what was coming, it already did. And we know how she feels. We take a small step out into the world each morning And before we can even look around, we get blindsided by unexpected problems that apparently have no solution. And like the blind man in our story, we are confronted by a tremendous need. But now, here come Jesus' disciples, and it's not the religious leaders that ask this question in verse 2. It's an interesting question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a question that everybody wants an answer to. Every time something bad happens to somebody, we want to try to figure out why. What's the cause? That way we can make a real neat little package and everything will be explained. Everything has a reason. Everything has an excuse and we can get everything all figured out neatly. We see the suffering in the world and we say, whose fault is it? Why did this happen? Or maybe something bad happens to us and we say, why me, Lord? What did I do to deserve this? You know, there's there's no right answer to a wrong question. And Jesus, rather than trying to answer their question about why, which is always our question, goes a step beyond that. And he says, let's not look at why, who sinned, this man or his parents. Instead, Jesus says two things. One in verse 3. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. In other words, let's not try to figure out if this man is being punished for something he did or something his parents did. But let's look at this as an opportunity for God to get glory from it. That's the purpose, that God, the works of God might be made manifest in him. Maybe that is the end result of our suffering, that somehow God might be glorified. And then Jesus goes on to say a second thing, verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day, night comes when no one can work. In other words, the purpose proper approach to suffering for the Christian is not to worry about the cause. Why did this happen? Did he bring it on himself? Was it something his parents did? Jesus said, don't worry about that. You just do something to help. You do something to alleviate the need. We must work the works of him who sent me. So Jesus says, when confronted by a tremendous need, Don't waste time trying to figure out whose fault it is. You just give God the glory and you do something to help when you face that. That's a totally irrelevant question that his disciples asked. Why did this happen? Jesus said, don't worry about the why. You give God the glory and you go help. The third thing I want you to see here is the great healer. Because that, after all, is the main point, the focal point of this story. Here is a man of tremendous need, one who has uh, an illness that is apparently permanent and incurable. And what does Jesus do? He solves it. We see how he did it in verse 6. He sped on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with clay and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Why did Jesus do that? He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, open your eyes and see. (laughs) That's all Jesus had to say. But maybe Jesus in that day spit was seen to have curative power. So maybe Jesus identified with their understanding and aroused their expectations. And he sent him to bathe in the pool of Siloam to see if he'd be willing to, to take a step of faith and believe the impossible. But if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, remember this. Whatever your problem, physical, mental, family, spiritual, emotional, I want you to see that Jesus cares and he can help. Now, he might not be Mr. Fix-It, who puts everything back in order the way you want it to be. But he can and will bring glory to his Father through the meeting of your need. If you will allow him to help. He's a great healer. But the people who see this man born blind, who can suddenly see, are frustrated. And they challenge the man who's been healed. This is one of the most beautiful parts of the story. The Pharisees demand that this man accuse Jesus for being an imposter a sinner. And the man says, wait a minute, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. All I do know is once I was blind and now I can see. He was living, breathing proof of the power, the healing power of Jesus Christ that nobody could deny, no matter how hard they tried to do so. There is nothing that will make an impact on the world like one person who is willing to stand up and say, I may not understand everything, but I am sure of this one thing. I once was a sinner and now I am saved. I once was going to hell, now I'm going to heaven. I once was blind spiritually, but now I can see and Jesus did it. A testimony like that is living proof to the healing power of Jesus Christ. And and let me tell you, when you give a testimony for Jesus, there will be people who will try to debate you and argue with you and challenge you. And most of the time, those arguments have no winners. You won't convince either of the truth of what you say. But one thing that no one can argue with is your testimony. What Jesus has done for you, how he has changed your life. And you can tell them that and they can take it and do with it what they want to. But one thing they cannot refute is your own testimony. So we ought not be just witnesses for Jesus Christ. We ought to be part of the evidence too. We ought to be exhibit A when we give a testimony for Jesus And now comes the second miracle, the determined blindness. Verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. In other words, the Pharisees had all the evidence before them, and yet still they reject Jesus. Our mind is made up, they said. Don't confuse us with the facts. <laughs> now look at verse 30, what, what the blind man who's been healed says. This is a marvel. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. The, the New Testament word for marvel here is thalmoston. It really means miracle. The blind man, this is ironic, the blind man who has been healed, who has experienced a miracle, looks at the Pharisees and says to them, this is a miracle. You have all this evidence that this man is from God and yet you still insist on denying it, not believing it, keeping your eyes closed. So there were two miracles that happened that day. The miracle of the healing and the miracle of the Pharisees' blindness. There was a miracle of the blind man who could see and the miracle of the seeing Pharisees who insisted on remaining blind to the truth. You know, there's an old saying there are there are those there's none so blind as those who will not see. They had everything they needed. And yet, they kept their eyes tightly shut to the truth. The greatest miracle is not what Jesus did for this man. Jesus is the Son of God, he can do anything. The greatest miracle is that those people in the first century, as well as the 21st century, can see and hear all the signs which Jesus did, clearly pointing to who he is, and still walk away from him and reject him. That is a miracle. It's even more difficult to believe than Jesus healing a man who was born blind. In other words, Jesus restoring the sight of a man born blind is nothing compared to those who have sight and yet insist on remaining blind to who Jesus is. Do you see the, you see the twist? So the evidence is compelling. All of history testifies to the identity of Jesus. We have had six signs already indicating who he is, the Son of God. Every redeemed Christian is living proof of the healing power, the saving power of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, Jesus has done what he did explicitly in this story. He brings light out of darkness and hope, out of hopelessness and healing out of illness. And so you see in our text The ingredients for a miracle, you see a tremendous need, you see irrelevant questions, you see a healer who steps forth and makes a difference, you see someone who stands up and testify. And then you'll see those who will will observe all of these things and still manage to deny it. The important question for us this morning is, what group do we want to be a part of, those who are able to open their eyes and see Jesus and believe in him and stand up in the middle of a skeptical world and give a testimony for him? Or do we want to be those who see what he has done and still close our eyes to the truth and refuse to believe? Many years ago, during the Christmas season in 1879, An unbelieving newspaper man in Boston was walking down the streets of the city and saw three little girls standing in front of a store window full of toys. One of the little girls, obviously, was blind because her two little friends were on either side of her. And the the newspaper man overheard them trying to describe the contents of the window to their friend. He said he'd never thought about it before, but it would be difficult to explain something to someone who has never seen. In fact, he was so impressed by what he saw that that he went back to his office and it became a news story that he wrote. And it appeared in his newspaper several days later. Well, it so happened that a few weeks after that, The same unbelieving newspaper man attended an evangelistic meeting conducted by D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the late 19th, early 20th century. And the newspaper man decided to go to Moody's evangelistic crusade and do an expose on him. To catch him in some inconsistency, making some mistake and, and expose Moody for being a fraud. Well, imagine his surprise when the newspaper man attended the meeting and D.L. Moody used his story in the newspaper to illustrate a spiritual truth. Moody said in his sermon, There's an article in the newspaper about two little girls who described to a blind girl the beauty of Christmas in a storefront window. Just as that blind girl could not visualize those toys in the window, so an unsaved man cannot see Christ in all of his glory. He went on to say that the grace of God opens the blind eyes of anyone who acknowledges his sin and receives Jesus Christ in humble faith. And a miracle happened that night. The Holy Spirit did a work on the reporter's life and he saw his need and discovered for himself the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and opened his eyes. You see, as with every miracle in the Bible, in Jesus' day as well as in our day, you can either choose to see it and believe it or close your eyes and walk away. There is a great miracle occurring every time God, through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, raises us to newness of life as well. There's a miracle every time that happens. But there's also a miracle that occurs every time someone sees that indisputable, irrefutable truth and yet refuses to believe. John said, these signs have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, you might have life in his name. So where are you this morning? Seeing and believing, closing your eyes and refusing. The choice is yours. Shall we pray? Father, as we come together to conclude this worship, you truly have given everything we need to see and believe. Like the man born blind, we are blind in our sin. And we cannot see the glory of the risen Christ unless we are willing to believe and open our eyes to the truth. I pray if there's anyone here in this sanctuary or watching by television who does not know you as Lord and Savior and has been confronted with the truth repeatedly but has insisted on keeping eyes closed that today you will penetrate their hearts and their minds, enabling them to open their eyes and see the truth if for the first time. For those of us Who do believe, Lord, confirm and convince in us what we need this morning. Some of us here need a miracle, God, because of a physical illness or a mental challenge or a family issue or a spiritual problem that has beset us and caused us pain. We pray that God be glorified. And that where there is a need, Father, that caring Christians will surround that person and help. Open our blind eyes, O God, and help us see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing the old rugged cross this morning because on that cross, draped behind me, Jesus took the sins of the world and bore them and paid the penalty for them and offers forgiveness to all who believe. If you need to give your heart and life to Jesus today, if you need to rededicate your life, if you need to join this church, this is the season to do it. This is the time when Jesus laid down his life for you and when God raised him from the dead to everlasting life. I'll be at the front to receive you. The old rugged cross, 141, you come.